coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change. Sponsored by LionRock.life. Codependent people attract people who are problematic. So they're going to not be used to being treated with respect because they don't have respect for themselves. So if they're grabbing anyone to be in relationship with because they feel wanted, you know, that's not the same as being with a loving, committed partner. Because a lot of people, let's face it, don't know how to do relationships. Even in recovery, we don't know how to do relationships because that's not what AA and OA and, you know, NA teach us. They teach us to stay sober and how to live a happier, more serene life, but they don't give us all the tools to literally create a well-balanced, loving relationship and all the skills that go with that. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Loeb-Lassingame, and I am your host. And today we have Michelle Ferris. Michelle is a marriage and family therapist who specializes in codependent relationship patterns. She helps people to avoid the people-pleasing behaviors and issues with boundary setting that can often become stumbling blocks for many in recovery. Michelle began her own recovery at 21. She began attending Overeaters Anonymous and Al-Anon meetings. She found the Al-Anon meetings much more difficult than she anticipated. She found herself being forced to face a difficult reality, the deep codependence she experienced in her relationship with her alcoholic partner. It was through that work that she began to realize how deeply her addiction to relationships and codependency affected her life. The roots of it had traveled beyond the bounds of her romantic relationships and began showing up in her friendships as well. Michelle was able to find healing and turned her newfound knowledge into a career helping people people who find themselves in the same situation. Today, she works with people to ensure they can lead healthy relationships with the ability to communicate their needs, set healthy boundaries, and create new patterns for how they interact with the people they love. I had so much fun with Michelle. Really, really interesting topic, codependency. I've done a lot of work around this, and I know how important it is. So I'm really excited to have someone come on and explain a lot of the traits that are involved in this and that there is another way to live and there is a recovery journey available to people. So I hope you hear that as well because Michelle has committed her life to helping people find their recovery from codependency. If you love what you hear, go ahead and check out Michelle Ferris's YouTube page. She talks a lot more about all of the stuff we discussed over there. So without further ado, I give you Michelle Ferris. Let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We're a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Well, this is very exciting for me. I love these topics. I've read a ton of books, been to treatment for a couple of these things. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Thank you. Good, for me too. So I want to open up a little bit with your story, your background. What got you interested in codependency and in 
uh, Overeaters Anonymous? Uh, well, I was a food addict from probably birth. I mean, there's literally a picture of me holding my bottle and my cousin's bottle. So I knew really early on that I had trouble with food. By the time I was uh, two weeks before my 21st birthday, my best friend, my binge buddy at the time said, why don't we go to an OA meeting? And I said, why don't we go to Lion's Restaurant instead? (laughs) True addict form. And she's like, no, let's go. And thank God she did that. You know, if she wouldn't have nudged me, we would have gone to the restaurant and nothing would have changed. I think that was kind of my first love in recovery, but codependency also I knew was an issue, but I wasn't ready to really dive into that until later in my recovery because I'm sure some of your listeners relate. It's hard to do two programs, 100% balls to the wall at the same time. And I typically don't recommend that for people unless they're super motivated. So I had to fix one problem and get it a little bit more manageable before I could dive into the next. Absolutely. I, I relate to that. I, I Whatever's going to kill me first. I yeah. got a handle on the drugs and alcohol. And then I started to work on the other things that might corrode the recovery of the drugs and alcohol. Right. So what is codependency? How would you explain it to people? So I like to be simple. It's basically a relationship pattern where you sacrifice yourself for someone else. So this is the person who gives too much but can't stop. They volunteer for everything, can't say no, and they have trouble with boundaries. They definitely feel a sense that they aren't good enough. So they only get their value through what they do and what they give others. But here's the thing, not every codependent is alike. And that's why some people miss it is some like I know some codependents that are highly controlling, and I go away from them. But there are others that are super people pleasers, right? They're going to say and do whatever you want them to do. So they're kind of on opposite ends, but they're different styles that most people don't recognize. It's really on a continuum. So if you relate to any codependent symptoms, check it out. You don't have to be a full-blown codependent with every single symptom to qualify. Yeah, it's interesting. So my experience with this topic, I went to treatment for addiction and my alcoholism and drug addiction. And eventually, as I got further along, it was clear that I had really intense love addiction. And it would vastly, it would go back and forth between love and sex addiction, but ultimately it was love addiction. How that played out was this very abusive, you know, domestic violence relationship that I I kept going back to. What I discovered was that I had this codependency that reflected in romantic relationship, not as much with friendships. What was interesting for me was that I thought I had self-esteem. What really transpired in the relationship was that this person was literally my higher power. And if they left me, I literally felt like I was going to die. Like I thought, I I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I remember thinking like, this is the best it's going to get for me. No one's ever going to love me more than this person and and all those things. And how, how strange it was when I was looking at these things to realize that you could both simultaneously feel like you're a good person and be functional in other areas, but do these behaviors. So all of that is to kind of lay the groundwork for you to tell us a little bit about 
how codependency shows up in different ways. And maybe some examples from your clients or from your own life of what codependent looks like and why it's so damaging to people's lives. Codependents grow up without a voice and they're usually, they're usually from dysfunctional homes, whether it's addiction, mental illness, depression, inability to parent their kids. And so they grow up with that empty hole and they find their value in giving and being connected to other people. So that feeling of, Oh my God, I'm going to die. If that person leaves me, absolutely. That's it. And that's why one of the things Pia Melody said a long time ago in one of her talks, I remember she said, some people are so traumatized that they will never leave their relationship and that has to be okay. And I was like, Oh my God, I love that because it's true. Some people just, you know what? It's too scary. And then the work becomes, how do you stay and have some serenity? I mean, for me, I think some of my... I remember one thing I did in the fourth grade. I remember I was trying to get friends and I didn't know how to do it. I would cut out pictures of Charlie's angels and give them to boys because I literally didn't know how to make a friend or I would buy them things. I would say, let's go out for candy. Let's walk downtown and have candy because I had no clue how to connect because I thought they wouldn't like me anyway because my siblings didn't really like me growing up. So I kind of felt like I have to make up for it. So the codependent doesn't feel enough as they are. So they have to make up for it. So for me, I did that really early on in my friendships. And then with men, I did do it early on, but it was more that I felt worthy because I had a man, because I was in relationship. I'm like, oh, now I'm part of the human race because somebody loves me. But that kept me in relationships that didn't work because I didn't want to give that status up because the status was my own self-image. So I totally relate to what you're saying. Yeah. And then you throw drugs and alcohol in there and you have a complete shit show of... It's funny because I I now know this this is a classic thing, but I was the young, you know, drug addicted girl with the much older boyfriend who was in the toxic... You know, it's like, it was textbook. It was textbook. And it really affected my life. It really really affected my ability to stay sober. What was interesting was that I went to all these treatment centers and I kept relapsing and it would be related to a relationship. It was... And the best part, because I'm a good codependent, is sometimes... Sometimes it was related to a relationship the other person didn't know about. So like in treatment or I'd go to a meeting and obsess over someone because when you took the drugs and alcohol away from me, I was so broken from all of the things that happened that I had to have a person to obsess about who wanted me. I had to feel wanted and needed. Even if that person didn't know about it, it was like it was in my head and I needed that distraction. Right. Because you had to transfer that hurt and that pain somewhere. And without drugs and alcohol, some people gain 30 pounds in recovery, right? Or they, you know, they never stop smoking and they smoke twice as much or they get into addictive relationships. I know that, you know, most old timers, you know, they joke, you have to qualify for at least two or three programs to really be in recovery. And it's kind of true because most of us don't have just one issue, you know? Right. You have another layer of codependency, which was you had both the friendships and the the romantic relationships piece. How did those two layers look different? I think with my romantic relationships with men, it was much more about me feeling worthy that I had a relationship. The one alcoholic I dated, ironically, right the same time I got into recovery, it was a nutty relationship. And literally, we broke up the night we met. I mean, that's how crazy it was. Literally, like we're together, slam, bam. I I think you're amazing. Yeah, let's and then be a co- together. Yeah. And then a couple hours later, we're on the beach in Tahoe and he goes, you're not going to want to be with me. 
we need to call this off. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm an, I'm madly in love with you. And I just met you like five hours ago. Now yeah, we got back together out. 20 minutes later. I mean, it was, <laughs> and that was probably the most chaotic relationship I, I had with a man, but with women, what I realized, and this was very humbling, you know, sometimes we have to revisit old issues. And I had a really lovely friendship with a woman. She was a therapist. I thought, oh my God, I've met my soul sister. I was super aware of my codependent tendencies. So I didn't call her. I wanted to make sure we had a mutual give and take. I was super aware of that. But one of the first things she said to me was, and I totally ignored it. Yeah, I don't really like that much contact because she was introverted and I'm extroverted. And I was like, huh. And then totally out of the blue, a couple years later, she said, I'm out. And I was totally shocked. And I plummeted to such deep depression. I mean, it was like I was getting divorced. It was really... And I was like, what the hell? I have my recovery. I have my family. I have a great life. What What's the deal? And I realized I had lost myself in that person again. For some reason for me, I didn't lose myself as much with men. It was just different because I was... I think I was chasing my sister because my sister and I didn't have a good relationship growing up and I always wanted her approval. So once I made that connection of, oh, that's why I'm chasing them, it was a whole other layer of work for me that it was the most painful thing I ever experienced outside my father's death, but it was by far the biggest gift because I realized, holy crap, I I can't keep doing this. What does it look like for you to be in codependency recovery? What What are some of the ways that that is reflected in your life? So for me, I kind of made up a term called relationship recovery. And for me, that means going from relationships that don't serve us to learning how to trust ourselves and create mutually satisfying relationships. Because that's what I didn't have. They were always one-sided. They were always me doing most of the giving, me chasing them, them eventually running away and getting burnt out me putting all of my emotional eggs in their basket. Because even though it was sad that she left the friendship, it shouldn't have devastated me to that degree. I mean, I knew something was wrong. Like, holy crap, Michelle, what's going on? But that was the warning sign. So for me, that was really important. So part of that is boundaries and assessing your relationships. But the part I didn't want to do is befriend myself. That was like, not sexy. I wanted to get into codependency recovery initially to fix my relationship, to get better love. And what this friend taught me was, no, that can't be the goal. I have to figure out how to be myself and have my higher power with me and then have all my relationships, not have all my relationships be my higher power and then have my program. Because even in recovery, I didn't realize I was doing that. So that was a huge turning point. You talk about anger as well, which is is interesting. It's a, it's often a feeling codependents don't want to show or, or don't know how to deal with. And I was listening to Gabor Mate talk about rage versus anger and how anger needs to be felt and moved through. But rage, when it comes out, it builds upon itself. It creates new neural pathways that actually expand. One of the interesting things about being in, code, in a codependent relationship is the amount of rage that is suppressed over time. What are the lessons that you teach about anger and codependency and how they're intertwined? Most codependents are going to stuff their anger and then it's going to leak out in very indirect ways. So maybe you ask me for a favor and I say, well, of course, don't I always help you? I'm saying yes, but my tone is nasty. 
So the other person feels crazy. Like, okay, I think she said yes, but yeah, what's going on? The codependent does not relate to anger. Like I do my anger course and my calming your anger class. And even though I do get people who stuff their anger in the class, I don't often get people who are actively in codependency recovery in the class because active codependent people in recovery don't think they have any anger yet until they simmer long enough and then they realize, okay, eventually the codependent is going to explode. And that's a problem because then we're losing control. And so for me, the marriage of codependency and anger is definitely around people pleasing, trying to look good, and then saying yes when you mean no. And then of course, all those feelings of resentment, where's mine? How come they didn't reciprocate? Why do I have to do all this hard work? Bubbles up until they either do the silent treatment, make a snarky comment, or eventually blow up at them and and yell. And that's not typical for a codependent. That's why codependents don't typically relate to anger because they're not exploding rageful people typically. The last thing a codependent wants to do is hurt people. And when they erupt and they realize they've hurt people and said nasty things that they wish they could take back, that is often the impetus for them to go, okay. But when I talk to my codependent peeps and ask them if they're angry, they're like, nope, because it's hard. It's hard to unpack all of that. That's why, you know, we can't rush recovery. We have to just kind of do it at our own pace until the pain gets big enough that we take action. You talk about the codependent versus the narcissist. What do you mean by that? The codependent and the narcissist are actually similar in that they both try to find their value from external sources. Now, the narcissist person does it. They have to be the best. They have to be right. They have to have their way or the highway. And that's how they feel good about themselves. Whereas the codependent needs to feel needed. They need to help. They need to serve. They need to put themselves last so that they can be loved. I do think the narcissist term gets used a lot. And that can be a on a continuum just like codependency. So some people have a little bit of narcissism traits, right? And some have a full-blown personality disorder, but not many have the full-blown personality disorder. I do think people are really quick to label their partner narcissistic. And I kind of want to caution people against that because that that's a really loaded term. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I think it's kind of like how people are starting to say like, oh, I'm feeling really bipolar today or, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or some, some of the things, some of the terms where people are using diagnostic terms to describe traits of things. And I do, I agree with you. I mean, real narcissists, when one sees a true full-blown narcissist, you understand that those other people have traits because a real narcissist, it is a, it's an experience. It's alarming. Yeah. There's no room for you when we're around a narcissist. It's all about them and their anger when they don't get what they want becomes rage. And it's really scary. Yeah. It's really scary. It's a really different, it's a really different feeling than people with narcissistic traits in my experience. I probably wouldn't have known that until I met an actual full blown personality disorder. So why did you get into codependency recovery? What was the catalyst for you? I knew like when I started OA, I did start Al-Anon at the same time, but I knew I didn't want to give up my alcoholic relationship. So I left it because I wasn't ready. And then about 13 years later, 
I was in another relationship and I was nuts. I was trying to control the guy. I didn't trust him. He was doing some wonky stuff. And I realized, okay, I'm nuts. And I knew, right? I'm at step one. I'm powerless over this other person. I need to start my codependency recovery. And I had already done some stuff. Like I did a Pia Melody taught a shame reduction workshop that I did with one of her therapists a few times. And so I was doing some adult child work that was really helpful for me. But it was really time for me to look at me in my relationship, not doing my codependency recovery, hoping I can fix my relationships. I had to look at, okay, what the heck am I doing that I keep feeling resentful in my relationships? So that was kind of the impetus that I saw my own insanity. One thing about being married with children is that you enter into, I guess it is a real contract. You enter into a, you enter into a contract that requires some amount of codependency, particularly if you're going to be mom to some kids. And when you're describing codependency, the traits of codependency, I'm thinking to myself, my, ch- you know, my children, you know, all they do is take, you know, you have, you have what really is a codependent relationship. It's meant to be that way, but you also are in a relationship with your spouse and you're running this household and you have, you know, you have all these things. And I, I think it's really normal for those types of relationships where you have this life together that's all intertwined for things to get unbalanced, right? In terms of who's giving what. I wonder if you would call that marriage and unbalanced marriage or would you, are those opportunities to insert the word codependent or does it apply in in that type of atmosphere? You know, so let me address the kid part first because I think most people don't realize and somehow I knew this in my, because I I became a mom later. I, I think I was already in recovery about 10 years, thank God. But most people don't realize that when you're a parent, giving goes one way most of the time. We are the ones teaching. We're the ones caretaking. We're the ones validating. And in dysfunctional families, the parent expects the child to take care of them. So if we do that, right, then we kind of get a warped sense of, okay, well, I guess my needs aren't important. I got to take care of mom. I got to take care of dad. I got to take care of siblings. A healthy parental relationship is hard because it is it is mostly a one-way street. We can't look to our kids to fill us up. When we're from dysfunctional families, we may have been taught that, that, okay, you know what? My child's performance is a reflection of me. My child has to tell me I'm a good mom. Well, no, they don't because when we think of functional children, it takes so much energy to grow up and it takes a lot of self-centeredness. They have to be focused on themselves in order to grow up into a healthy adult. I don't think I would call what you're describing a codependent relationship between the mom and the child, but it would be if the mom is totally giving up who they are for the child, making the child be their only source of validation. Oh my God, you got a D. That means I've failed as a mother. You have to be in all these activities. Otherwise, you're going to be lazy. You know, all that stuff. That's when it gets codependent, when there's an unhealthy dependency on the child to fulfill the mother's needs or the parent's needs rather than, no, the parent actually needs to spend most of the time taking care of the child. Does that make right. sense? Absolutely. And what do you think about in the marriage? 
I don't think anything's going to be 50-50 down the line all the time. There's just no way. Like me and my husband, I have totally different strengths than him. And for me to expect him to do what I do would make my, like I'd be getting a mallet and just hitting myself over the head because it'd be like, there's no way. Each of us contribute something different. Now, emotionally, that's where I think most of the negotiating comes from and and watching kids, right? That's when you have to go, okay, you know, we both work. How are we going to do this? And every relationship is so different. It just depends on what your agreements are. And if you feel good about the agreements you're making with your partner. So when you work with people who are coming in to you to talk about codependency, if we're to talk about someone who is in in Alcoholics Anonymous, let's just say, and we were to describe their recovery, we might say they don't drink, they go to meetings, they have a sponsor, they work the 12 steps, they work one step a week, they help others by you know, doing one volunteer thing a month. I don't know. What does that look like with the people who you work with who are in codependency recovery? Oh, yeah. Well, usually we start with self-care and where is the codependency showing up that's hurting them the most? Like, are they burning themselves out? Do they not trust their own perceptions? Are they not setting any boundaries? Are they at the point where they're willing to assess some of their relationships and go, yeah, you know, I really attract self-centered people who take advantage of me. You know, I mean, that's the starting point is to really start to assess where are you at now? Because people come to therapy or 12-step recovery because they're hurting. So the codependent person comes because they either are frustrated in their relationships and don't know why, or they're so burnt out because they're overdoing and overgiving that they're super resentful or they they think everyone else should change, but they don't really understand it's them yet. Or they have, you know, an addicted relationship that they can't get out of and they're like, oh my God, help me because I'm so addicted to this person and I can't leave. Do you find that people who are trying to recover from codependency or they have to set really uncomfortable boundaries that part of their recovery is saying no and withstand the backlash. Yeah, but that's, I mean, I think most people in early recovery get really scared of that. So to me, the first step is just identifying, okay, what would you like your boundaries to be? Because people get confused that boundaries are about getting someone else to change and they're not. They're limits we set for ourselves. Saying no is kind of intimidating for a codependent who gets a lot of kudos for saying yes. So what I always say is figure out what your boundaries are first. And then if you're ready to practice, practice with the easiest, most loving person you have in your life, your girlfriends, the people in recovery, just practice saying no. And you can even say, you know what? I'm going to use you as practice because I don't want to say no. Would you be willing to ask me to do something and literally I'll practice saying no? I think it needs to be baby steps because I do think if we jump too fast, we can't get 20 years of AA sobriety in a day. (laughs) And it's the same with codependency recovery. You got to start where you are and not scare the person like, oh my God, you have to set boundaries right now. No, you don't. You do what what feels comfortable, but maybe a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I see a lot is the inability to deal with what happens if they say no. Not 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 just the desire for kudos. At some point that erodes, but then they're left with, but if I say no, he is going to lose it and I don't have the stamina to withstand the temper tantrum, you know, or whatever it is. And that makes sense to me. It does. The only thing I, I tell my clients sometimes is watch your negative assumptions. Like if you're sure they're going to blow up, 
because you have proof, like literally you asked them last week to do this and they blew up. Great. Then you have evidence. But a lot of times what we do is we assume a bad outcome. We think, oh my God, if I say no, I'm going to be deemed super selfish. And we have all this crap in our head, all this made up stuff that we really think is true that isn't. When I started saying no, I thought, oh my God, people are going to be so mad. Nobody cared. Everybody was like, oh, all right, you can't do it. And the one thing I do recommend a lot is if you feel bad saying no, help them figure out an alternative. Let me help you figure out a solution. You and I can brainstorm together how you can get people to help you move because I can't, but I'm willing to help you figure out another alternative because that can be a way to be helpful rather than feeling like, because the codependent feels like, oh, I'm the only one that can help. And that's not true. And that, that creates bricks on our back that just create more stress for us. Codependent people attract people who are problematic. So they're going to not be used to being treated with respect because they don't have respect for themselves. So if they're grabbing anyone to be in relationship with because they feel wanted, you know, that's not the same as being with a loving, committed partner. Because a lot of people, let's face it, don't know how to do relationships. Even in recovery, we don't know how to do relationships because that's not what AA and OA and, you know, NA teach us. They teach us to stay sober and how to live a happier, more serene life, but they don't give us all the tools to literally create a well-balanced, loving relationship and all the skills that go with that. My experience with that is that getting into recovery, getting into 12-step recovery sparked a desire to get better and to feel well and live the best life I could, which sparked a desire to get outside help, which taught me how to be in relationship. And so even though maybe some of the stuff wasn't learned directly in those programs, it very much was the launch pad for Absolutely. learning. I think codependency is the next layer of most addicts recovery because they're going to get to a point where they realize, crap, I can't maintain a relationship or I keep going through these men or these women and I'm not getting anywhere. Or the childhood stuff right, comes up and that needs to be dealt with because often that is part of codependent recovery too. So looking at the the root cause of where these behaviors come from. What are some of the common textbook, if you will, stories that you hear? You know, growing up without a voice, being seen and not heard, uh, taking care of siblings, not having any validation or, you know, I've heard a lot of my clients say, you know, they were never hugged. They weren't told they love you. They weren't told what they're good at. So of course, how are they going to get self-esteem? They're going to find it outside of themselves by being the super achiever or by getting in relationship and relationship and relationship. I mean, they're not going to know how to fill themselves up. So they're constantly going to be running on empty. That usually lands them in some kind of recovery at some point, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. What are your go-to materials and books for starting out on this journey? Uh, I loved Codependent No More, Facing Codependency by Pia Melody. I mean, I read that years ago. I created my self-trust journal mostly because that was a gap in my own recovery because once the relationship, the friendship ended, I realized, okay, I, I really need to start befriending myself and I had no way to do that. So I literally, after I figured it out, I created a self-trust journal because I think that's such a gap in recovery because we learn to trust the program. We learn to trust 
our higher power, but we also have to learn to trust our intuition. If somebody doesn't feel right, or if a situation doesn't feel right, what do we do instead of dismissing it and going, oh, Michelle, you're crazy. You're being too sensitive. That person's fine. Just let them in versus, well, wait a minute. Maybe that hesitation needs to be explored before we dismiss it. Because I think that self-trust is such a key in recovery for anyone. So what does it look like to befriend yourself? It's funny because I thought I had good self-esteem. I could go to movies by myself. I could do stuff by myself. But I wasn't emotionally relying on myself. That's where it was like, oh, I still have to sandwich myself to five phone calls today. That's what the period of grief after that friendship gave me is, okay, now I have to literally spend time with me and spend time in the pain, in the grief, figuring out who am I without a relationship? Who am I without being addicted to someone else? And that to me was where I started feeling like, you know, I can go a whole day without making a call. That's pretty cool. When literally I would make call after call after call. I really feel for my friends. God love them. Thank God some of them stuck it out. (laughs) In my 20s and 30s, it was like, wow, I was a lot. But yeah, just cultivating that relationship you have. I mean, I know it sounds silly and I hated the term, be your own best friend. I was like, oh God, until I realized, wow, I really don't have that. What kind of stuff would you, you know, not that you have to read us your journal, but what kind of stuff would you write in your self-trust journal? How did you use a self-trust journal? So I had to figure out what was in the way, some negative beliefs, like I'm not good enough or somebody else is smarter than me, so I should listen to them. Part of my self-journal was about recognizing what my intuition looked like and how to really hone that so that I could never do that again. Because now after that breakup, I will never let myself go through that again. It was so painful. Every time I get a little close to being addicted to a friend, like I get super excited, like, no, I'll pull myself back because I know where that leads. That was the biggest gift of that friendship dying is I would have never done that work without realizing that once again, I lost myself in a relationship. How do you, how would we transmit this to young kids about, you know, it's one thing to recover from a relationship and it's another thing to learn from the get go how to be in one. How would you stop this cycle through teaching non-codependent relationships with children? Well, I would definitely work on their self-esteem for them to start looking at, you know, who are you? What are the things you like about yourself? What's unique about you? And then when you get into a friendship, do you find yourself overgiving? Or do you find yourself on the other end taking too much and not, not letting them ask for what they need? Teaching kids how to be moderate and not get too dependent. Like, of course, kids have a best friend, right? We all did. But don't put all your emotional eggs in their basket. Make sure you have a few friends, not just one. Because by the time you get to junior high and high school, if you lose that friend, you're going to be crushed. And that's what they can avoid by making sure they have other outlets and making sure they have activities that they love, that feed their soul, that make them happy. So they don't develop an unhealthy dependency on other people. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. And I think it's really good advice for trying to stop the the intergenerational aspect of, of this pattern. Where can people find you if they want more information 
about what you're doing, any of your anger management classes, your codependency work, etc. So my website is counselingrecovery.com. And I have all my resources there. I have lots of free and paid resources so people can take their pick. I also have a YouTube channel under my name, Michelle Ferris, a relationship therapist. And uh, I'm really having fun doing that. And then I have a Facebook page that kind of acts like a group. Uh, but those are the places people can find me. And it's Michelle with two L's and Ferris, F-A-R-R-I-S. That's right. awesome. Awesome. And counseling is one L because in England, it's two. So it's one L. Right, right. Awesome. Thank you so much for all of your the work that you're doing in this space and, and your time and your expertise. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, Ashley. It was really fun talking to you and being on your podcast. Well, Scott, were you listening? Were you analyzing your relationship? I was. I <laughs> I knew about codependency, but I had not thought about it in friendships. And I have I've said lots of things before, like I'm often the extrovert or I'm the like more dominant personality or something in the relationship. And so like, yeah, like I'm the one who asks all the time, but I don't care when people say no and whatever. It might be borderline badgering. Uh, it might be. <laughs> Are we having realizations? I feel like this is, listen, yeah, we're having yeah. breakthroughs right now. <laughs> having breakthroughs, guys. Full this on is, breakthroughs. This is what it's about. I mean, the show really at the crux of it is just trying to get me figured out. You know what I mean? I <laughs> guess. I mean, relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Or shizzle. Well, okay. So I want to recap because I found a really cool infographic. Obviously, I can't turn that down. Uh, <laughs> signs of a codependent relationship. Providing money to support a habit. Denying the problem. Avoiding conflict at all costs, even if it means denying that there is even a problem. Feeling responsible for your partner's thoughts, feelings, and actions. Making excuses to cover up your partner's substance abuse. For example, calling in sick to work for them when they are hungover. Saying yes to your loved one when you want to say no. Providing care for the person when addiction symptoms present physically. Putting your partner's needs above your own. Neglecting your own self-care and needs. Turning to drugs or alcohol to cope with the stress or dysfunction of the situation. Typically, codependency is associated with guilt and perfectionism, a desperate need to please others, blurry boundaries, overblown emotional reactions, attempts to fix others, a need for control, fear of rejection, and inability to form loving relationships. Why did you speed up? Were you trying to pile it on me? Did you, were you trying to say, <laughs> Okay, Scott? but like, here's the thing. Okay, let's read no. I am definitely codependent, but I also am really good at saying no. And I know how to express anger. But like, maybe I'm just further in the process. And that's what I'm looking at. I mean, people do, they don't know how to have healthy anger in a relationship. They don't know how to resolve. Like when you're married a long time, well, and I'm not even married a long time. We've been married. 45 years. years. 45 so years. It feels like it. We've been married seven years together, like 13 or four to something like that. And I, I laugh now because I will get, we will get so, we just got in a text fight over buying new tires. And let me just tell you, capital letters were used. <laughs> there were sentences in all caps. All right. It was not including the word fuck and what and the. So I just want to say, but like, I know 
I know that, yes, we text raged on each other about whether or not to replace the minivans. <laughs> oh my God, when you say it out loud, it just hangs. It hits different. But I don't know. We we figured out a way. And I, I think part of it is that we process our resentments against each other relatively quickly, which means <laughs> regularly. But, <laughs> but it is rare that we stay angry and we can move through a fight, like a, a gnarly fight pretty quickly. And one of the reasons we can, this is funny, we discovered this was not because we're great with anger, but because we decided, I think both of us independently, we refuse to do the like, I'm angry with you and I'm going to ruin everything about this day because of it. It was like, yeah, you're you're an asshole and I'm still ma- technically mad at you for that thing. But like, I'm over it now because I don't want to sit and deal with this for the rest of the day. We're at Legoland and like, <laughs> we're going to have a good, good time or we're on a trip or we're, you know, going out to dinner and we're going to have a fucking good time with you. What get her up? <laughs> I had that as well. We fight very quickly as well. And part of it was because we lived in other countries where it was just the two of us. Oh, that's good. It's like, I'm going to fight with you. Yes. And then you're the only one here. So let's let's fix this, please, quickly. Okay. No, that's what it is, though. That's the skill. That is the skill. It's like, it's like, okay, I'm going to be mad at you. But like, also, we have to go to dinner later. So you're also my social life. So you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're like also you're so- by the way did you hear about tom brady and giselle Gotta talk, you know <laughs> like i need someone to talk to about it there's that kind of anger and then there's like the anger i had in my super gnarly abusive relationship which is trying to light my boyfriend on fire harder to do than you'd think yeah yeah goatee didn't really it didn't i needed an accelerant i didn't know that <laughs> yeah codependency does not look the same as it used to. And it's really interesting to look back on my history and that relationship in particular. But otherwise, I don't recognize that person. I don't think I find it really, really strange that I was able to get into that place and be that person because that's not really at my core, my nature, who that is, who I am. But that is something that happens in abusive relationships where there's power dynamics and where there's addiction and stuff like that. So, you know, whether it's an abusive relationship or a codependent relationship or whatever, ultimately it's a toxic situation. But codependency can be subtle and can be, can look different. Something that's codependent for one person might not be for another. You can also have codependent behaviors and not be like a full, you know, you can do things that are codependent without having a relationship be a full-blown codependent relationship. And that it's sort of your own journey on what that looks like. And I think a really good way to look at this piece is really look at what status relationships have for you in terms of how you see yourself, how they define you. And in 12-step, the term higher power literally means anything greater than yourself, right? Like anything greater than yourself. And if you put another person greater than yourself, then you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. I think you can start to see how the consequences of codependency could lead people to want to drink and use again because they don't know how to get out of them. They find themselves in such great discomfort. The good news is that you can seek recovery from these things. Uh, Codependent No More is a fantastic book. Once you get an idea of of where you are on the spectrum, what some of your habits are, what some of the things that you do that are causing pain in your life, then you could start to 
make changes. But of course, you have to figure out what that is before you can do anything else. I think it's really interesting how women have such a harder... Like men seem to have such an easier time just demanding their own self-care things. Like it's it's instinctual. It's not like they're better. They literally don't have the hangups. And I have paid close attention to that over time and started to, <laughs> much to the chagrin of every male in my family, implement some of the things that they do naturally. And it's really interesting. It's also not received the same way. The understanding is that I will give more or I will run myself further on empty than my male counterparts. And it's not just my husband. It's other... I I see it all the time. Here's the best part. It's not a lack of respect for me. It's an increase of respect for themselves. It's wild to watch. But I now institute... I don't ask permission for self-care. I ask when we can work it in so that we can... And there's a big difference. I'm not asking you permission if I can take care of myself. I'm asking you, when does it work with our family schedule? When does... you know I would like to do this. I would like to spend this. This is what I'm looking at. It's a really interesting thing that I have found to be incredibly effective and also a little uncomfortable. But that's what every man I know does. And they get to take care of themselves. It's just so socialized, right? Yep. It's just like, yep. that's what yep. it is. Like even, I mean, I just I even think of like parties growing up where it's like my family was such was like the men are just like sitting watching sports and the women are preparing everything. I think it's so socialized. There's been times where I've even tried to like push people and they like are uncomfortable with it. I'm like, totally. no, no, really. Just like, just stop. That doesn't seem like, and they're like, oh no, 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 no. I had somebody who used to work for me. She would all the time, she would say, oh, well, you know, we can't... Can't, uh, we can't rob Peter to pay Paul. And I'd be like, that's not what this is. I'm just telling you to like, stop and not run yourself from the ground. Right, right, like- right. <laughs> that analogy doesn't work here, Sarah. Okay. Yeah, I. there is definitely a discomfort. It is uncomfortable. And I think that was one of the threads I was pulling at was the amount of pushback you do get when you set boundaries or you say no. I feel like we act like saying no is this really easy thing. It's not. It's that's why we don't do it because we're like, eh, it's either easier to say yes. Women, I think that is some that is a skill we learn very early on is where it's just easier. Like, I don't want to fight. I'm too tired. It's easier for me to just do it myself or whatever it is. And I have learned not to do that. But what's interesting about that is that it makes me seem incredibly combative. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'll straight up say, no, I'm not doing that. And it's like, I seem, even though I'm just saying, no, like, you want the garage to be perfectly organized. I don't care. And it's Sunday afternoon and I'm tired. Like, no, I'm not doing that. But it's really interesting, right? Because if... I really feel like if the tables were turned, it doesn't look as combative that I want to organize the garage. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that right now. It would be, it would be much less intense. I hope that there's some change in that because that makes it harder to set boundaries and it makes it harder to not be codependent and all the things, but because you just have to be able to withstand a certain level of discomfort and conflict. And luckily I can. (laughs) (laughs) well i think that's at the root of a lot of the codependency stuff right it's just like people 
come to expect people to be certain roles and relationships. Like they get comfortable with things being a particular way. Half of what you're overcoming, even beyond just the person itself, is like the momentum of the relationship dynamics that you right. set up. That's right. Like it's like, it. but we do this thing and right. I, but I, I liked the thing and then the, it's organized and it's the way that I want it to be. And you're like, um, I'm not good with that. And that's, I think that's a wonderful thing to say. Or as uh, I like to say, cool story, bro. <laughs> 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 I love the momentum of the relation of the like culture of the relationship. I think that's exactly right. It's like my husband in this case, right? We're just using this case. He's used to a certain amount like of combative, right? Like I, that came, <laughs> yeah. that came in the packaging, right? Like that was, that was the, the, the it was written on the front, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the label. Yeah, yeah. It was, I came stock <laughs> with combative features, but if I suddenly have a new button feature and that one has escalated right now, it's like, what's happening? What do you, you know, why are you saying no to something you normally said yes to? But in fairness, I'd probably do the same thing to him. So basically like being a person is hard. <laughs> Basically, being a person is hard. Being in relationships is hard. It turns out you're never just done. You don't get to just like put on autopilot. Yeah, I got that memo. But you know, I just, I love doing these episodes, but it's not, it's not always been that way that I love my job. I used to have a job. I hated it so much. I, uh, all I did was crush cans all day. Yeah. It was so depressing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I want to say it was, I'm soda. sorry, but we are going down this. Pressing. Well, you, you, Soda. Pressing. How old were you? This is not a real job. Oh. This is a joke. Oh my God. Wait, that's a terrible joke. What's happening? <laughs> the joke is, you know, I used to hate my job. All I did was crush cans all day. It's so okay. depressing. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> oh my God. Okay, guys. <laughs> you okay you gotta tell me before we're getting into the dad joke because not only did i not know you were telling a dad joke i thought you were serious <laughs> generally so like normally i don't understand the joke but that's not the part that was concerning i thought you had a soda crushing job <laughs> i thought you were telling yeah. you. <laughs> oh my god was i like was just i was trying to hide the transition this one you know what okay I mean? well let me just say much you like, did it very much... well <laughs> So much, much so like that... the codependency is sometimes hiding underneath the surface. Today, I wanted to hide the transition and blur the line. Where was the joke? Where I was the truth? I have no idea. Clearly, I, I was going to say I never saw this on your resume. <laughs> we need to talk. You're a liar. You left something out. Was this a summer job or is it an internship? Did they this pay was... you? Did you keep any of the cans? Did they recycle? <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's a dad joke and you have to explain it to me. <laughs> God damn it. It was my immediate job right before this, and it gave me all the skills I needed. You just all day. So depressing. <laughs> oh my God. So depressing. Soda. Pressing. Pressing. And then I was like, did he get free soda? Did he drink too much soda? How's his blood sugar? <laughs> and therein lies my codependency, ladies and gentlemen, mm, the full on. circle. See how we did that? Yeah. A, a magic trick right before your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> transition. And when I say effort miss, I mean, no one knew it was happening. <laughs> 
you know, the courage to change is a journey. It's a journey. Exactly. You, you know, not a destination. You don't know where you are Clearly. sometimes. Well, well, I hope this is helpful for you. I'm rooting for you this week. I hope you have a fantastic week. I hope if you want one, you can have a soda. Two, three, even. Okay. As many as you want. Okay. As, many, as many as you want. No, we're rooting for you. I hope it's a great week. Ashley, what do you want to, what do you want to leave these people? If with? you heard anything in this episode that resonates, I definitely recommend checking out Codependent No More. Great book and great starter book. Coda, C-O-D-A is the 12-step program for codependents. Also ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. Great to hear other people's stories and how they got through it and where they are on the other side. So definitely check that stuff out if you felt like this was relevant to your life. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Little reminder, if you get a chance, please go write us a review. Apple Podcasts, that is podcast currency. We so, so appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.